Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. We have been doing a series called The Seven Decisions, and today I'm, I'm doing one that I'm very much sold on. I'm very sold on, but we talked about the responsible decision the first week. Brad introduced that, did a, a tremendous job. It's called simply the buck stops here. In other words, I am, I'm responsible for me. I can't blame anybody else. Got to stop the blame game. I've got to do it myself. Then I came home and I talked about the guided decision when we seek wisdom and understanding, not just knowledge, but turning knowledge into how to handle yourself in life through wisdom and understanding. Then last week we had a great, great man, a great man, Dr. Phil Brassfield was in the house and he spoke on, he spoke on the active decision and he, he took that old Nike term, just do it. You just got to do it. You just got to get up and do it. And then he said that with that Arkansas slang, ain't nobody going to do it for you. <laughs> and we loved him. Today, I'm talking about the certain decision. I'm, I'm talking about the certain decision. We will, we will wrap this series up next week, in the fifth week. And uh, it's going to be a unique way how we're going to wrap it up. But we're going to wrap it up next week. And, uh, but I want you to enjoy this session in your life groups this week. The Bible says, he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. Would you say that with me? He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. You know why? His heart is fixed. That's how you're not afraid of evil tidings. Your heart is fixed. Evil's going to come. And he trusts in the Lord. Amen. So God bless you. Take somebody by the hand and shake their hand. Say, I'm going to help pastor today. And you may be seated. You're awesome, awesome, awesome people. Amen. <clears throat> truth is truth. It remains truth. If a thousand people believe something foolish, it is still foolish. Truth is never dependent upon the consensus of opinion. Truth remains Andy Andrews, the author of the book, Seven Decisions, said, I have found it is better to be alone and acting upon the truth in my heart than to follow a gaggle of silly geese <laughs> doomed for mediocrity. It is often quoted and true that the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first or the single step. Some here in this house today, and I'm going to go ahead and declare it, need to take their first step to the Lord and to life, and to living what is right today. No more shuffling left and right. No more doing the Cupid shuffle to the left, to the left, to the left, to the left. To the right, to the right, to the right. Now kick, now kick, now kick. Now, now walk it by yourself. Now walk it. White men can't jump and they can't dance. Everybody repeat this with me. The power to control direction belongs to me. It does. The apostle Peter said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Let, let, let me say something. There's a lot of stuff going on in our society today. I will call it just flat out evil. There's some evil stuff going on in the world today. 
But a decided heart is unwavering in the face of continual challenges and even setbacks. It really is. I've often believed this. A person without a dream will never have a dream come true. Because you got a dream in order to have dreams come true. And more people fail at what they attempt because of an undecided heart than for any other reason. Because when you decide not to decide, then you've made a decision not to decide. And that's a decision. And that's not just trying to fast talk you. That's just the way it is. All my problems, though, become smaller when I confront them with a decided heart, with a certain heart. Here's an example of an undecided heart. You do, you do it every day. Where are you going to go to lunch? Oh, wherever. Well, what do you think? Well, somebody's got to step up and make a decision. I always, I take the staff out to eat. A whole lot. I bless these young men because they're, they're very worthy of that blessing. And uh, we, we don't pay them enough, but we, we do buy their meals. They are, they are healthy. And I'll sit in the car and i say, okay, guys, where you want to go today? Ah, uh, whatever, pastor. And I say, okay. Can I get a witness from somebody in the congregation? And the person to speak up, that's where we go. And they've learned that. So the other day I mentioned all four of them said something different at the same time. <laughs> then I went to the fifth place. I didn't take them any of those places. <laughs> See, the purpose of analysis, folks, is to come to a conclusion, not to continue to analyze. It's kind of like that old fisherman. That his pastor was wondering how he caught all those fish. And, and so he said, I, I, you, you, you're quite a fisherman. He said, yeah, yeah, pastor, I catch a lot of fish. He said, when I go, I always come home with a with a basket full, with an icebox full. And he said, well, can I go with you? He said, yeah, sure you can. So they went out, and he noticed there wasn't no rod and reels. And so the old, the old fisherman reached up under a little area up there, and he pulled out a stick of dynamite and lit it. <laughs> when it got short enough, he just threw it in the water, and boom! And all those fish just flowed to the surface. He got his net out and caught him. He said, easy, isn't it? And the pastor said, man, you know, you know that's not right. You know that's not right. So the old man Looked at the pastor and said, you ever held a stick of dynamite? And he said, no. I said, here, hold this. And when he held it, he just struck the end of it. And he said, now, are you going to fish, preacher, or are you going to sit here? <laughs> somebody, somebody needs to start fishing. God is not a changeable God. He said, I am the Lord, and I change not. I've often believed that successful people make decisions quickly, but they change their minds slowly. I have a very successful businessman in this church, and he's not here today, so I'm going to talk about him. He is one of the most, to be a man of his age, he's one of the most vivacious, over-the-top, driven men I've ever seen in my life. And a couple of Sundays ago, when I got back in town, he, he, he was on the porch, I was on the porch hugging people, and and he was back there holding back the traffic, and he was standing like this. We're talking about a man pushing 60. He was like this. And when it was his turn, he came running up on the porch and jumped on me like he had just scored the winning touchdown in a Super Bowl. And he said, how's my best buddy? That's his excitement level. And he does things, you know, he's kind of a right now person. So one day, a couple of years ago, I got a phone call. He said, Pastor, I'm in the neighborhood. Can I come to your house? My wife and I want to come to your house. I said, well, sure. They never, never come to my house. So he comes to my house and he walks in. He said, I got a deal for you. And I said, I don't have any money. He said, no, that's not the kind of deal I got for you. 
He said, I, I got a deal for you. He said, he sat on the living room. He got, Patty was there and his wife was there and I was there. And he said, Pastor, I want to take you somewhere. I said, where? He said, I want to take you to California. We're going to go skydiving. And I said, that's not on my bucket list. <laughs> it ain't. It's still not on my bucket list. And so he looks at my wife. He said, does he have enough insurance to take care of you unless he dies or something? And I said, baby, I, I think I can. I said, babe, what do you think about it? She said, baby, you only live once. I said, no, I'm going to live again in glory someday. She said, go ahead, go ahead, babe. I'm, I'm for it. So there's three people for it, and I'm, I'm standing there. And so I said, okay, we'll go, we'll go. So I said, I'll go skydiving. And I couldn't sleep for several days because I was thinking about that free fall of a, of a minute, one minute long free fall. We was going to fall one minute, free fall for one minute. I, 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 I couldn't hardly compartmentalize that. And I woke up in cold sweats and I said, oh God. But I was not going to back out on my decision. So we get in a plane, we go, we go to California, we go to the number one training place in all of the United States and there we're going to jump. It's Veterans Day two years ago in October. And we're going to go. And we're going to jump for the wounded warriors. And they don't realize I don't want to be wounded myself. <laughs> and we wait. We wait. I get my stuff on. I get my gear on. I get weighed in. We go see four films. And every one of them say, you got to sign this document. If you die, nobody sues. That's not what I want to do. But we finally got out and we were ready to go. And you know what? The longer, it, the longer I was there and the more I saw the competency and the professionalism of the people that was going to be there jumping with us, the man that's going to be on my back jumping with me, I said, uh, let me ask you about yourself. How, how are you and God getting along? I mean, I talked a lot of questions. <laughs> Your wife all right? You're not wanting to jump out of a plane and not pull the ripcord or anything. He got so tickled. He said, Pastor, I'll take care of you. <laughs> Funny story. And I sat there, and, and, and then all, all the apprehension left. All the apprehension was gone, and all of a sudden I realized, I want to do this. I've made up my mind. I've come to California, and I'm going to do it. And the clouds never broke all day, and we never got to go up, and I rejoiced in my spirit. <laughs> but I had decided. I had decided. You know, Philip found a man in the desert one day and he was in a chariot and he was reading a scripture from Isaiah chapter 53 and he said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, no, I don't understand. He said, let me explain it to you more clearly. Philip gets up in the chariot and describes to him that this is the Christ that was to come. And then they went a certain way down a certain path and they came to a certain body of water and, and, the, and, and the Ethiopian man said, here is water, what does forbid us to, me to be baptized? It's amazing how some people can catch a hold and say, you know what, I came to a service one day and I changed my mind and God touched my heart and I'll never be the same again. And it's important that many people in this house today have a mind change today and have a certain heart, have a certain choice in their life and have, have a decided heart and a fixed heart in your spirit. You've got to have that in the world that we're living in. Amen? You've got to have a fixed heart. Billy Graham said, I'm amazed at how many people in trouble confuse God's will for their life with plain old bad decision making. I mean, you, 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 know what, you know what deters good decisions in life? Talk magnifies problems. Talk magnifies problems. The Bible says where there's no wood, the fire goes out. So there is no tailbearer, the strife ceases. Ceases. I want to tell you three decisions that I think everybody ought to make. Everybody ought to make this. Everybody ought to choose who they're going to serve in life. Are you going to serve the Lord? Or are you going to serve the world? What are you going to serve? Come on, let's make up our mind today. I choose to serve the Lord in my life. Amen. 
This is a choice that I've made. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to give my life to him. I'm going to keep my life in his hands and I'm going to walk with him. Amen. And then the second thing that I'm going to choose is who I'm going to marry. It's pretty important who you're going to marry. It's the second most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And some of you, God's given you second chances and that's an awesome thing because that first one didn't work out and we're here, still here. And I'm here today through a tragedy and got remarried because God took care of me. I would, I, I would have never dreamed my life would be here, but God took care of me. But I made a choice the right one the first time and the choice the right one the second time. And the third choice is where you're going to worship God. Everybody needs a place to worship God. And it's not in front of the television at home. It's not in front of somebody preaching to you on the television and saying, send me your tithe and offering. It's to a place of worship where you can come and magnify the Lord. And I suggest that if you're going to come, you might as well go to a place where the Holy Ghost is operative and where the Spirit of God comes down. Come on now. Where you can clap your hands and rejoice and say, I have found a place that still loves God with all their heart. It's kind of... That's kind of that, that, that second part, marrying that right person. It kind of reminds me of a story. I've got stories in my head today. This couple was celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And everybody was happy and they had a big crowd there. And somebody walked up and said, how'd y'all meet? And he said, well, we were, we were caught kissing behind the barn one day by her daddy. And he's a judge. Her daddy's a judge. And said, he told me if I didn't marry his daughter, he's going to see that I spent 50 years in prison. Then all of a sudden, the groom started crying. Somebody said, why are you crying? He said, today would have been the day I got out of prison. <laughs> God, that's funny. <laughs> Marry the right person. There are questions that cannot be answered in life, but we can still make a decision. This is what I will do. I know people who are absolutely sure that the will of God said go this way. And when tough times come, they turn around and go the opposite direction. And they say it must not have been God. The Bible said that wishy-washy people are dangerous. James called them double-minded. A double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. It's going to be a struggle to maintain a decided heart. Otherwise, what you're struggling for isn't worth the struggle in the first place. You've got to understand that a struggle will happen in your life when you make a decision for the Lord and for marriage and for a church. But I'd rather, I promise you, I'd rather go through the storm in the ark with all the stink of the animals than to be outside the ark and wondering how I'm going to survive this storm. Listen to me. This church is a haven. It's a saving place. It's the gate of heaven. It's the house of God. You ought to rejoice every time you get a chance to come and magnify the Lord with your family in the house of God. Come on, clap your hands real big to that right now. That's right. So, so, so what I do, what I do, let me just give you what I do. If I'm going to make a choice and make a decision, I'm going to think big. I'm going to think big. See, if you're hunting rabbits... In tiger country, beware of the tiger. But if you're hunting tigers in rabbit country, don't worry about the rabbits. You get me? Did I say it right? Yeah. You can ignore the rabbits because rabbits ain't going to bother you. But here's what I want to tell you. If you're going to do this, you might as well do it big. I guarantee every one of you, when you was in the world... 
When you did parties, you did big parties. Oh, baby, let's do this thing. Oh, yeah, you did it. But you come to church and you make these little, oh, I think I will try you for a week. Two weeks, three weeks. No, no, no. If you're going to party big, you pick big God in your life and you say, I'm going to serve you. Come on. Come on, somebody. It's time for us to make a big choice and a big decision. I'm not going to worry about the rabbits, the little things in my life. I've chosen Jesus in my life. You got to think big. If you're afraid of criticism, Warren Wiersbe said, you'll have little effect on the world. I worry about, if you worry about what other people think, you'll have more confidence in their opinion than you do on your own. You know, you know what I've often said? A monument's never been built to a critic. But they're built to people that overcome. And so critics are going to, they're going to say, oh man, you got that church thing in your life? Yeah, yeah. Is it really working? Well, I think so. No, no, no. Yes. It's working. Cortez was an explorer and a, and a, and a, and a swashbuckler. And he had, he had heard that a certain army had all the, had all the, all the money that the world knew back then. They had, they had held it for 600 years. And so he organized a group of men, 500 of them. He, he, he individually talked to every one of them, interviewed them. He said, listen, I've got 11 ships I've got some horses. I've got some wagons. We've got some things. He said, what I want to do, I want to go to the Yucatan Peninsula, and I want to take on that army of 600 men. And I want to take the world's richest treasure. He said, can you imagine where you'll be if you're in this army and how much you'll make and where you'll live and how you'll live the rest of your life? He asked them. And every one of those men said, I'll get on the boat, sir. I'll get on the boat. Let's go to the Yucatan Peninsula. Let's take this army. Let's take this treasure. Let's go back home. And when they got on the boat, they decided, they, they started wishy-washing themselves and they said, you know what, Cortez, I, I don't think I want to do this. I don't think this is what I want to do. And Cortez almost had mutiny on that boat going to the battle because they had made a big choice and then all of a sudden they realized that army might be bigger than what they were. And when they got to the Yucatan Peninsula, they all came out on the shore. Cortez did something that was phenomenal. You know what he did? He told his men, burn the ships. Burn every one of them. Burn them all. I am not going back. We're not going back without the treasure. And you know what they did? They won the treasure. Here's what I want to preach today to this congregation. There are some times in your life when you're going to have to come to a settling place with this God factor. And a settling place with your marriage. And a settling place with church. And you're going to have to say, you know what? There's some things that will keep me from evil in this life. And when I make the choice, the right choice in my life, and I burn my ships, and I say goodbye to yesterday, and I think big, and I walk into this as big as I walked out of the world, then maybe, just maybe, this thing might happen positively for me. But you can't leave your mind out there and your heart in here. You can't leave your heart out there and your mind in here. You've got to get everything in this thing. You've got to get big in your thinking. If I was a coach, I guess I am one. But if I was a coach, you know what I'd do? 
I would, I would see, I would see who had heart when they was getting beat. I'd see, I'd look for that. I know coaches look for that, but, but when you're getting beat down, when things are not good and things are going bad against you, are you still competing? Are you still giving everything you got? I believe with all my heart that true Christians that are sold out to Jesus Christ, that have made a certain decision in their life, are people that'll still say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I have a God in heaven and he is my God and I'm his kid and he's going to be with me and I'm going to be with him and we're not going to be in inseparable. Paul said, what can separate me from the love of God? Nothing, 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 nothing. Lord, I want to preach today. Lord, I want to preach today. Hallelujah. I've been teaching too much. I'm ready to preach. Now listen to me. David comes to the armies that are fighting, are fighting the Philistines in 1 Samuel. He's too young to go to battle. And his daddy gives him some corn and some bread and some cheese. He says, go take that to your brother. So he takes it to the brother. And when he gets there, he realizes that there's somebody hollering, send me a man. And so David looks and his brothers are hidden behind the rocks and hiding in the coves and in the lowlands. They're hiding down in the creeks. They're holding their breath under the water, trying not to be seen. And David goes up to the king, King Saul, who's head and shoulders, probably a seven-foot man, he says, what's, what's this I hear? What's, what's going on? And he said, there's a, there's a giant out there. There's a man out there. Now, I want you to understand that David had to come there already settling something in his life. You don't face giants in your life without settling something in your life. David had a settling place. And he looked at Saul, and Saul said, here's my armor. Try it on. And David said, it hadn't been tried. It hadn't been proven. But I've got something that is proven. It's called the name of the Lord. And then he told Saul, he said, Saul said, how do you think you can compete with this man? He said, Saul, listen. Now, you got to get this. It's in order. He said, sir, listen. A lion came against the sheep one day. And he said, I went out and I took him by the mane and I, I ripped his head open. And he said, a few days later, a bear came out. Now, listen. A bear is not as bad as a lion because a lion is the king of the forest, the king of the beast. But the biggest test he had was first in the desert. First among those sheep. And when he took the lion down, he said, I can take anything down. When he, when he thought big enough to take the lion. And so he settled the fact that God was with him before he ever went to the battle to face the evil one called Goliath. You've got to have a settling place in your life. You've got to have it. And David said, I settled it, and now I'm going to go take him down. David never called Goliath a giant. He just called him one that was out of covenant with his God. Because there's no giants big enough to handle the God that can take care of the roaring lion in our life. When the roaring lion can be handled, anything can be handled by the power of God. Amen? Elisha's plowing in the field one day and Elijah comes by and just touches him with the mantle. Doesn't say a word, don't invite him. And Elisha runs after him and says, hold on just a minute. Comes back, what's this now? He burns his plows and he kills 12 yoke of oxen. 24 oxen are slain just like that. What I'm telling you is simply this, is that Elisha had a settling place in his life. He settled it. He settled it. It was big. It was a big decision. It wasn't a little decision. It was a big decision. It's not just, oh, I'm going to eat up behind Elijah and see if I can find a little glory. No. He settled it. And Elijah tried to shake him at Gilgal. He tried to shake him at Bethel. Tried to shake him at Jericho. Tried to shake him even when they crossed the Jordan. And Elisha wouldn't leave him. He wouldn't leave him because he made up his mind a long time ago. You hear me? You hear me? 
Job was just like that. Job, Job was a man who loved God. He was the perfect man in the Bible. The first book ever written in the Bible. There was no New Testament. There was no Adam and Eve. There was nobody else he could read about. He wrote the first book of the Bible. And he was a man that loved God, a God he had never seen. And one day Satan came into God's presence and said, I've been looking around and I, I see somebody there. I'd like to kind of attack him if you don't mind. And God said, go ahead, just don't touch him. And so Job is attacked. Cyclones and thieves and all these things came in and destroyed his camels and destroyed his oxen and destroyed his sheep and destroyed even his own family. His whole, his whole kids were eaten at a house and destroyed all of them. All of them. And Job shaved his head and dropped to his knees and he said, naked came I into this world and naked will I leave. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And Satan couldn't handle that. He couldn't handle that kind of commitment. So he goes back to God. Oh, I'm preaching right now. He goes back to God and he said, you know what the problem is? If you let me touch him, he'll curse you and die. He'll curse you and quit. And the Lord said, okay. He said, you've got this hedge around him. Take it away and let me just touch him. God said, okay, but don't kill him. And so he comes and he touches him with these boils. And Job is stricken with boils from head to his toe. And he's in a potsherd and he's got all this stuff. And he's scraping the, these boils and he's trying to get himself some comfort. And he can't get any comfort. And his wife comes and says, curse God and die. And his friends come and sit at him and look at him for seven days and don't say a word. And he's just sitting there and he's in pain. He's in misery. But he understands something. He understands something. Even though God took his hedge down, Job had a hedge. Job had a hedge. Are you with me right now? And you know what Job's hedge was? I've got a confidence in a God that'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He'll never walk away from me. And God may be putting me through something right now, but I have a confidence that though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And when the devil realized that only God, not, not only God had a hedge, but Job had a hedge. He went away and Job was blessed more than double in his end time than he was in his beginning. Because he made up his mind. Daniel purposed in his heart in the first chapter of the book of Daniel while he was a captive down in Babylon. He purposed in his heart he would not defile himself. Yeah. And he lived and even went to a den of lions, but he lived. Because when you settle the account, when you settle the account, big time, you can go through some big time stuff. Now, I said it Wednesday night, I'm going to say it again today. We've got an election coming up November the 8th. And half this church is going to be happy and half is going to be sad. This is the way it is. But let me tell you something. God spoke to me and told me to tell the church this. On Wednesday night I didn't. I'm going to tell it to you again on Sunday morning. It don't matter who's in the palace. What matters is who the voice is in this world. It don't matter. Pharaoh was in the palace, but Moses had the voice. Nebuchadnezzar had the palace, but Daniel had the voice. Are you with me? Are you with me? It don't matter who's in the palace. Ahasuerus had the palace in Shushan, but Mordecai had the voice. Here's what I'm trying to tell you, folks. God still needs a church that thinks big enough to understand that no matter what happens, good or bad, ugly or evil or blessed, it does not matter. There is a church that's still going to think big and say God is still in the midst of its church. And he will provide and sustain the church. Come on, somebody. Help me now. Help me preach a little bit today. Lord, 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 I got to hurry, got to hurry, got to hurry. Criticism hurts. Believe me, I've been there. 
Still there with some circles. You know, you want me to tell you how to overcome criticism? Let me tell you how to overcome it. Tell yourself, if the critics are bad-mouthing Mother Teresa and Billy Graham and Oprah. I love Oprah. I love Mother Teresa and I love Billy Graham. But if they're criticizing them, then why should I feel bad when critics badmouth me? That's how you get over criticism. When they quit criticizing people that have done the job that they have done, Billy Graham has brought more people to the Lord than anybody will ever preach this gospel has done. And Mother Teresa has talked to more lepers and blessed more people than you'll ever imagine. And Oprah's given away more Volkswagens than I could ever have. In fact, I try. I tried to get my wife to go to Oprah. I tried to get her a ticket for weeks and weeks and weeks. I was trying to bless her with a surprise. I was going to send her to Chicago to see Oprah. And I was praying that she'd get on the show when she gave away Cadillacs or something, you know. And we never got a ticket. That many people wanted to see her. I couldn't get a ticket down here in Texas to send her. It meant that somebody was popular. And that, once again, I said, monuments are never built to critics. Only people that do well in life. So let me preach a little bit. Criticism and condemnation and complaints are creatures of the wind. They come and go on the wasted breath of lesser beings and have no power over me. That's what Andy Andrews said. In the book, The Traveler's Gift, he wrote, Andy Andrews wrote, William Morris wrote this, criticizing him. He said, I found your story a bit melodramatic, Andy, and lacking in concrete plot and characterization. Also, I didn't feel the characters you described came to life. In the diary of Aaron Frank that has sold over 25 million copies worldwide, the publisher who turned it down said, this girl doesn't have any special perception of feeling that would lift that book above the curiosity level. Dr. Seuss' book, And to Think I Saw It on Mulberry Street, was rejected by 27 publishers, including one who said, this is too different from the other books for juveniles. On the market to warrant its selling, we pass. And the Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling, this is the most beautiful one. He said, I'm sorry, Mr. Kipling, but you don't know you, don't, you just don't know how to use the English language. The idea of a decided heart has to have passion. Whether we get criticized, spoke, spoken against, throw barbs against us, David said, my heart is fixed. One day he came home and he danced before the Ark of the Covenant that had been gone for 40 years. And his wife began to criticize and make fun of him. And God struck her with barrenness because it's, it's easy to criticize people that are sold out. There's a girl that came in the church the other day. She had a T-shirt on that said Jesus Freak on it. And I got tickled at first. And then I remember I read the book Jesus Freak. And it reminded me of people that had given their lives, laid their lives down as martyrs for the cause of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. This thing is bigger than being in church on Monday and being in the world on Monday. Being in church on Wednesday, being in the world on Thursday. You with me? It's bigger than that. You got to either come to Jesus or say, you know what, Lord? I want to get a big relationship with you. I want to make a big decision because I want to follow you the rest of my life. Amen. I want to serve you the rest of my days. Would you, would you receive that today? Would you receive that? There's three things. Three things and I'm going to close. When confronted with a challenge, when confronted with a challenge, a decided heart searches for a solution. An undecided heart searches for escape. A loser focuses on what go they're going through. A champion focuses on what they're going to. And the devil wants you to focus on the battle. God said, I want you to focus on the rewards. You need to start living with a what if and throw what is out the window. Remember, God never consults your past to determine your future. Hallelujah. When you choose Jesus, when you choose Jesus, he throws that stuff away. A great door in effectual has been opened for us. We need to walk through it.
We need to be restored in Jesus Christ. We've got to make a certain decision in our life sometime, somewhere, someday. One of the greatest scriptures in the Bible that I love is Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall there be fruit in the vine. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, and the flock shall be cut off from the field fold, and there shall be no herd in the stall. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I remember the day that I came to my settling place. I remember the day that I whipped the lion in the desert. I remember the day that I was touched by the mantle and said, no longer do I want what's there. I want what God has for me. No longer. I remember the day. I remember the day when I went through my tragedy and I realized that he's going to be with me even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not going to dwell there. I remember that day. I remember the day when God confirmed to me that I was going to preach this gospel. I remember that. It's a sold out, settled spirit in your life. And you just know that you know that you know. And that's what I'm preaching today. We need to make a certain decision and have a decided heart and have our minds fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you clap your hands and receive that today? Amen. I found this several years ago. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a statement by a young African pastor, and I close with this, Randy, if you'll help me. It was found among his papers in Zimbabwe after he was martyred for the Christian faith. It's a moving testimony of a martyr. He wrote this before he died. Listen. He said, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his and I won't look back. I won't let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living and sight walking and small planning, smooth knees, cuddleless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognized or praised or rewarded. I live by faith. I lean on his presence. I walk by patience. I lift by prayer and labor by the Holy Spirit power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road may be narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my God is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. Wow, I wish I could write that. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy or ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus, and I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me, for my colors will be clear. I wish I had another hour. (laughs) This is one of those days that I could just flat out rear back right now without a note preached like there's no tomorrow. Because I, I need some people in this church. I need some folks that have been here and then 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 here then here then back here and then up here. 
I need you to step up and say, I'm going to make, I'm going to make the decision of my life. I'm going to make a fixed choice today, a certain decision. I will have a decided heart. And when you do that, when you sell out to that, it's amazing what you can walk through and not be burned and what you can walk through and not be drowned and what you can walk over and not be winded because the presence of God will go with you. But you have to make up your mind. You've got to make up your mind. I know I'm running a little bit over. I'll catch up in the next service. I met, a, I met a young lady in a parking lot the other day. I was headed into Nordstrom's Rack. And they were supposed to be here today. And she stepped out of her little SUV. She said, hey, pastor. I said, hey. I didn't know her. didn't know her name. And she said, Pastor, we go to Christian Life Church. We love our church. I said, well, great. It's awesome. She said, so what you doing? She said, I'm getting in the back seat to fix to feed my baby. She said, I got a story to tell you. Pastor, you got a minute? I said, I got a minute. She said, my boyfriend and I were not living right. We were doing some things that were not right. And she said, one day we walked into Christian Life Church and God changed us. Right now. Right now. And said, we said, we're going to do the right thing. That's a choice, folks. That's a choice. And said, so we decided we're going to do the right thing. So she said, we went and got counseled and got married and, and said, we couldn't have children. We wanted children. We couldn't have children. And said, but we came to church and we were prayed for and said, we had this baby natural right here. This baby's, there, there, there's, there's no help to having this baby. This baby just was born natural. Beautiful child. And she said, pastor, I said, who'd you get counsel from? She said, you every Sunday morning. She said, one day it hit us. This is what we need to do. Woo. I gave her about three hugs. Reached inside that car and hugged that baby. I'm declaring something to this congregation. When you make choices, when you make the right decision, a certain decision, a decision that says my heart's going to be fixed. This is what I am. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to be about. When you do that, when you do that, all of a sudden life starts becoming a whole lot better in your world. Would you stand all over the house in the name of the Lord? Amen. Amen. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Just for a and that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.